0: In my recent interview with author Justin Gesso about his book, Leave the Grind Behind, we had an opportunity to explore the factors that allowed him to transform his life. Justin wrote, Leave the Grind Behind to help people that are dealing with the fears of becoming an entrepreneur. He provides the reader with tips, tools, free quizzes, and a template to assist you, the listener, in learning ways to navigate leaving your job easier. Please join me and author Justin Gesso for podcast interview 596. I hope you enjoy our interview together. Thank you. And now our host, Greg Voison. Welcome back to Inside Personal Growth. This is Greg Voison, the host of Inside Personal Growth. Um, I have Richard Barrett joining us again. And Richard, we just completed an interview on his book called The Metrics of Human Consciousness. Um, for all of you who want to learn more about Richard, go to C-E-N-T-R-E.com. To learn more about him, he's also at LinkedIn. We'll put some uh, links up there. Uh, Richard, thanks again. Um, again, we're going to be talking today about the values driven organization unleashing human potential for performance and profit. Great book, by the way. And, you know, right off the bat, you state that the values driven organization are the most successful organizations on the planet. and There's probably nobody who's done more inside companies to change culture than you. What defines values-driven organizations, and can you give us some examples of companies that you believe are values-driven?
1: Sure, Greg, and my personal website is richardbarrett.net. So I've done an awful amount, a lot of research. I've been working on this topic for over 20 years now, um, looking at what makes a successful organization. And, uh, and so at the start of this book, which I wrote four or five years ago now, I say, well, you know, most sexful, successful organizations are values-driven. And what that means is that they consider their values um, in every decision they make and Most importantly, they measure their values. They measure their culture by mapping their values. And what I'm going to be talking about, what I talk about in this book, is mapping your values to the seven levels of organizational consciousness um, and uh, the seven levels of of personal consciousness. And so um, when you actually measure your values, you can see what levels of consciousness you're showing up at. So let me just give you an example um, if we just take uh, the first three levels of consciousness of an organisation—that's survival, relationship, self-esteem—the um, um, if you have a particular—if if you ask employees what values do you see in your organisation, every value they pick belongs to a level of consciousness, and that's how we measure uh, consciousness. And that was the breakthrough that I got. 20 years ago, when I developed the model and realized that at these every level of consciousness, as you move up the consciousness scale, there are different values which are important to people. So, if compassion is important to you, and if if humility is important to you, you're going to be operating at level 7. If survival is important, if money is important to you, um, uh, uh, then you're going to be operating at the survival level. Um, And so, um, profitability for example, is a survival level uh, uh, value. So when we ask employees to map to, to what are their personal values, what values do they see in the organisation, what values would they like to see, we get three plots. Uh, when we add all these together, and we can see where what levels of consciousness the employees are at, but we see where they see the organisation and where they'd like to see the organisation. And and very often in the there are gaps. And in in filling in when you fill in those gaps, when you raise the consciousness from the lower levels to the upper levels, which also the, uh, the, the desired culture of the organization usually uh, corresponds very closely to the personal values of employees. So when you're able to improve the current culture, um, what, mean, what it means is that the employees' needs are being met, because whatever we need is what we value. And so uh, if you at this moment in time, Greg uh, suddenly lost all your money and your house, um, you'd shoot down to the survival level of consciousness pretty pretty quickly because you would need to be focusing on income mm-hmm. um, so. So whatever your needs are, are a reflection of what your values, and that's how we link back to Maslow, because Maslow had a hierarchy of needs. I took that model and I changed it. What I did was I I transferred needs into values and I expanded Maslow's concept of self-actualization into three levels of um, soul activation. I don't necessarily talk about soul activation in the book, The Values-Driven Organization, but I do in my other books. And so Um, it's really important to be able to uh, measure consciousness in organizations and so when when the leaders focus on the values of the organization, they're actually focusing on the drivers, because our values are the aspirational drivers uh, of our intentions. They they link very very much through to what's important to us. And so, if we're able to ma- measure that in an organisation, particularly the the difference between the, the current culture and the desired culture, we have a direction for uh, the the, the organisation can go in in terms of its transformation.
0: Mm. Now. Some of the things that happen inside of organizations, I know this because I do this kind of work as well. Is you know you and you speak about this. You call them beliefs-based decision making versus values-based decision making. Look, we all formulate formulate a series of beliefs uh, through our adulthood, our childhood, and they, a lot of them get attached uh, to what we do. What advice do you have if someone's coming from a beliefs based decision making versus shifting to a values based decision making?
1: So you have to recognize that there is a whole hierarchy of decision-making that we uh, all uh, go through. So um, as we grow through the different stages of psychological development, you know, the very, very youngest age, um, you know, up to two years old, uh, all our decision-making is done from the level of instincts, DNA-encoded responses to what's happening in our world. So we're into instinct-based decision-making, whereas we, we move the uh, two to eight years old, we still don't have the cognitive mind, we have the limbic mind brain. And so, so we develop subconscious beliefs about how to get our needs met. And then when we become conscious, we develop conscious beliefs about how to get our needs met. And then what happens is, as we get to 24, 25, when we follow our path, we let go of our fears and we get to know who we really are, we realize that the, only, the way to understand who we really are is to examine our values. Now, our values—who we really are—may actually be contradict the cultural beliefs that we were brought up in. Um, and so, um, it, so if you were brought up uh, um, an immediate example, if you were brought up a hundred years ago, and one of your values uh, was equality. And uh, you lived in any democratic nation where women didn't get the vote. Um, there's a belief, there was a belief that women were inferior to men. I mean, it's still out there in many ways. So the belief was that women are not equal, but for you, you were embracing the sole value of equality. And so now you have to decide are you going with your belief or are you going with your value? And so the values, these positive values, which, um, I, I speak of are all values that come from the deeper essence of who we are, and all the positive values are connecting uh, because at the soul level we're all connected. Um, they are self-expressing, so creativity would also be a positive value, and um, also they are contributing, so making a difference would be a, a positive value. So. Um, we shift then to values-based decision-making. And then after values-based decision-making comes something called intuition-based decision-making, where now you've activated the soul, you're beginning to find your intuition. And then finally, the last stage is inspiration. Um, and that comes when uh, the latter stages of development where you you uh, are inspired, you hear the voice of your soul. All my books, actually, in the last... Um, eight or nine years have been written from the inspirational level. I I, I get told what to write, I get told which books to write, and then I get told uh, how, you know, what are the main points in the book. I, these are not my thoughts, these are my soul's thoughts, and soul is in spirit, so inspiration. So there's all of these different modes of decision making, so shifting from belief to values is really shifting from ego to soul.
0: Mm. It's interesting, you talked about inspirational decision-making and intuition-based decision-making. I, I have some other questions for you about that, not for the context of this interview. But, you know, you have this, uh, here in the United States, I don't know what it's like in other parts of the world, but I would assume it's it's the same in a lot of places. <clears throat> you can't pick up the, the newspaper or listen to a newscast that at some point someone doesn't have a story about how low employee engagement is. Uh, we see it happening, yep. you know, it's, it's, a, it's a big talk, <clears throat> and at some point you kind of get to a point where you go, oh my god, another report from Gallup on uh, how low the employee engagement is. And you say the impact of a values-driven organization is huge on engagement. Can you give us some examples of engagement differences between a values-driven organization versus an organization that are not values driven.
1: So, um, first of all, let me talk uh, briefly talk about cultural entropy, something that we measure in the uh, cultural transformation tools which is the degree of dysfunction in the system and there is a there is a very solid uh, relationship between the level of cultural entropy and the level of employee engagement. It's an inverse relationship so high entropy, high cultural entropy, low engagement, low uh, entropy, high engagement. So, w- what we measure with our tools are uh, is cultural entropy. Now, in the update of the book we're talking about, The Value Driven Organization, I'm actually suggesting that the uh, inverse of cultural entropy uh, the degree of dysfunction in the system, in the culture is actually well-being and, uh, and we can actually measure well-being in an organization now and that new that book that version the second version of that book is going to come out early next year where we can use show how to use the tools that we're talking about here to measure well-being in an organization and so um, I mean, just, <laughs> I've done this before, Craig. Once I get talking, I forget what the question was. What so, was the question?
0: <laughs> the question is really give us some examples of, oh, examples. of, of okay. organizations that are engaged uh, versus non-engaged versus values-driven versus okay. non-values-driven. Yeah. So the
1: point, the point about being engaged means that there's a high level of commitment and why would people have a high level of commitment? Because their needs are being met. You see, that's when the... That's when you get a high level of commitment, and whatever needs you have are dependent on the stage of psychological development you're at. So the millennials who now are, shall we say, in their late 20s, early 30s, have certain needs um, at the individuating stage of development. What they're looking for is freedom, autonomy, to explore who they really are and find out what they're good at. And so so they will have a, a high sense of engagement if they're able to satisfy those needs. Now, people in their 40s are moving now to the self-actualization stage where it's all about finding meaning and purpose through your work. So those people will be highly engaged if their work gives them meaning. And if they doesn't, they'll probably leave and go and look somewhere else. Now, people in their 50s is different. And people in their 50s, are, they've found, uh, if they've worked through the stage of them, they found meaning through the work that they love to do, what their gifts are. Now they want to make a difference in the world, but to make a difference, they have to be able to connect with other people. So connecting is really important uh, in the 50s. Now this is very interesting because this is why there's a big difference between men and women. Because women, uh, at the at the uh, conforming stage, uh, two to uh, seven years old, are uh, uh, learn to connect with each other and express their feelings. Whereas well, boys are are prevented. I mean, they, you've got to be strong. You've got to be tough. You've got to beat that guy. You've got to win. You, and you, no feelings, please. No, no. So. So we get hardwired, men get hardwired not to express their feelings, not to connect, uh, so they can't connect so well. So when you get to your 50s, uh the that activation level of the soul uh, men are not so good at connecting and women are quite good at connecting that's why there's a lot of talk about you know bringing so-called feminine values uh, into leadership there's no such thing as feminine values what we're talking about are bringing the value connecting values in and and that's why uh you know women can can um, in many ways make uh, better leaders than men because they know how to connect because they they have access to their feelings and men don't have access to the feelings. They find it difficult. So in the 60s, that's the 50s, in the 60s it's all about contribution and so Uh, It's about serving other people. If you learned at the differentiating stage of development, that's the ego stage, which is like uh, 8 to uh, 24, that if you didn't get recognized by your peer group or you weren't... uh, you didn't get approval from your parents or you you probably learned you're not good enough and you've got this sense of I'm not good enough and you lack confidence so that when you get to your 60s um, and you want to make a a contribution in the world you've got this handicap of of, of self-criticism about not being able to do that.
0: Let me ask you a question Richard. I mean you've made these distinctions between these age levels at what uh, you are perceiving will go on in the 60s, we're making about contribution, I'm in my 60s. I guess the question would be the kind of the social economic element associated with it. Uh, don't you find that people from uh, obviously all of these different social economics, poor people, middle class people, wealthy people, that there's a, certainly an impact into how they look at that particular Absolutely. chart and where they are?
1: Yeah, absolutely, you okay. see, most of the, most people on the planet, Greg, never get really past the differentiating stage uh, of development, the ego stages of development. They never get into the individuating, self-actualizing, uh, and the upper stages, um, because of several reasons. One, uh, they. Um, they've all these limiting beliefs that they learned when they were young which mm-hmm. keep them in fear and don't allow them to express themselves secondly um they may be living in a, a cultural regime that does not uh, or a political regime that does not appreciate open mindedness and people expressing who they are like the right. former ussr north korea etc etc so right. so so they're not going to express themselves so they're going to block their their growth, because there's too much fear involved in it, um, and um, you know, and if you live in certain African countries, if you're a homosexual, my boy, you better not even mention the word, mm-hmm. uh, because you know. So, um, so there's a, a lot of cultural pressure and political pressure, um, and also pressure from parents to suppress self-expression. To sp- which is the beginning of the opening up of these higher stages of development. And so, so the vast majority of people on the planet never get to be become fully who they are. It's sad.
0: Yeah, now, I can see that. Now, if you were to mention, I mean, obviously, this book, The Values-Driven Organization, is all about how to, kind of how to reformulate your company into becoming uh, more values-driven and release the human potential. What are a couple examples that you would cite of companies that, that you see are really highly values driven versus organizations that you believe are not being impacted or by values driven? If you just said, hey, a-, if I said to you Apple, high values driven organization?
1: Okay, let me just say this, Craig. Um, I'm not prepared to say that if I haven't been in and measured the company.
0: Okay, all right. Uh, well, because you some because, it's, because you've been it, in and you've measured. Well,
1: okay. Now now the second problem comes. Uh, you know, I can't. I don't talk about companies that we work with because there's a there's a confidentiality issue. Uh,
0: okay, okay. So, well, so so yeah, you, you got me in a real bind here. <laughs> and listen, they're going
1: to say, "Who the hell is this guy?" You can't mm-hmm. name a company. But look, let me just tell you a group of companies. I can do that. I okay. can do that. Okay. Okay. So look at the conscious capitalism movement, um, and you'll see. Um, That these these people the the principles of conscious capitalism are four pillars. You know, conscious leadership, conscious culture, and um, also uh, taking care of all stakeholders' needs. Amongst them, employees' needs are really uh, focused on. So any any organisation that looks after employees' needs is really on the right track. Mm. And I would say even before customers' needs, because if your employees are happy, your customers will be happy. Now here's another whole group of people. When you look at the results from the um, the best companies to work for, those results, the results of those companies outstrip um, most other S&P 500 companies. Why? Because the best companies to work for are the best companies to work for because they care about employees' needs. So, so there are, you can see that when you care about your employees' needs, first of all, when you care about your customers' needs, second, when you care about your shareholders' needs, you won't have to care about your shareholders' needs if you're caring about your employees' needs and your customers' needs because it just falls out of the system that your shareholders' needs will be met if you're caring for the main people in your, that are important to your organization.
0: Well, you know, I know part of the cultural capitalism movement. Uh, John Mackey, the owner right. of Whole Foods, was there. But now, recently here in the United States, which we can all get some bad press, um but they've had some pretty negative press um, yes. regarding their pricing and how they've priced out different people and the cost of the foods that they're putting on the shelves. So they've made this huge effort lately to try and reverse that negative press that they got right um, you know can uh, what happened there in your estimation because you know john was probably one of the i don't know forefront leaders who had a big name in this movement um, any comment about that
1: um, you know i actually have a no comment in the sense that I, I you know i don't know the details but i can tell you i can tell you this that um it is really hard to um to uh, manage a values driven organization because you as the, the leader's really have to live up to who they uh, the, the, the these deeper values mm. and 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 uh, there's also a sense in which um as a leader of a values driven organization what your focus what you focus on is the fulfillment of your employees right right and and when you so then now you step back and you know you you're not always in control if you, if you like of what you know where your employees are in this whole mm-hmm. <laughs> shooting match and so it, it's it, it's almost like you you know you you you, you're running, you run the company from behind, you're in the background checking, double-checking, etc, cetera, etc, cetera, etc, by giving people um, empowering people um, who um, may not always share all of the values right. that uh, you know that you, as the founder or the chairman, have. I I know that for myself. You know, I'm the founder and chairman of my own company, and, uh, and uh, it's uh, and I, 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 I it's very difficult to let go and allow, you know, and right. so and say, well, okay, I wouldn't have done it. You know, I wouldn't have done it exactly that way. But you know what? I empowered my people to do that. Right, right. Well, so you know, it's a tough call.
0: Yeah, it is, and I think that it, 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 no matter what the company, there can be challenges along the way. But you, know, um, you talk about creating a highly motivated sales force in this book, and you say, mm-hmm. you mentioned Daniel Pink in his book Drive. The surprising yeah. truth about what motivates us was really pointing in the right direction. Um, What do you believe those motivators are? Obviously, you say it's about getting our needs met. Well, if our needs are being met, um, is there a correlation between needs being met and motivation? Um, So speak with us a little bit about that.
1: Okay, so I you know I looked at daniel pink's work, I looked at uh, Robert Keegan's work, I looked at Elliot Jack's work and I compared them to the seven levels model and I found that they were they were all talking about the same thing now interestingly, Daniel Pink talks about five levels of motivation, which are actually the five first five levels of my seven levels model. He missed out too, okay no problem. I mean, I think he mm-hmm. did a fantastic job without a you know model to go from um, but you see um if you've got an organization um, which is uh, manufacturing uh, employs a lot of laborers, uh, people who've not had a higher education, not had a chance to travel the world, they're going to be operating out of those first three levels of consciousness. And those needs are survival, relationship, self-esteem. So those people are going to be looking for, um, you know, pay and benefits, benefits, uh, great colleagues to work with, and um, at the self-esteem level, they're going to be looking for a recognition, uh, an opportunity to progress professionally, but they're not going to be They're not going to be the same needs as an organization that is a think tank um, where uh, you've got a highly educated group of people who have now satisfied those first three level sets of needs, they are now looking for meaning, making a difference in service. And so for those people, they're going to be wanting to align the work that they do with their sense of purpose. They're going to be looking for opportunities to make a difference through their work and they're going to be op- looking for opportunities to contribute to the well-being of society. And so, you know, the, the type of workforce you have uh the different types of workforce you have will have different needs. If you've got millennials in your workforce, they will be looking for something different. So when we do our cultural values assessments, we, we say to the companies we work with, over 7,000 in the past 20 years, we say, look at split out the data by age grouping because you will find that you may have a high level of cultural entropy in one age grouping but not in another because the age, the needs of that particular age group are not being met. And so it's, uh, and sometimes you can do it, split it out by gender too, or even in South Africa where we work a lot, by ethnicity. Um, Mm. You know, ethnicity is quite a big issue in South Africa so we sometimes pull out the data. You know, for the black population, coloured population, white population, etc., etc., and 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 you find some amazing insights into where the high pockets of cultural entropy are. Which group of people, which age group, which gender, which ethnicity feel like their needs are not being met in the organisation, and that's the start of a dialogue. In, in fact the whole of the cultural transformation tools is all about the measurement that we do It's all about starting a new conversation that's never happened before so you can actually have a path forward to improving how your organization operates.
0: Well one of the things you do in this book is uh, the values driven organization is you and I you don't have to outline all the steps but you've given nine steps in the book for a successful change management or cultural change process can you briefly uh, discuss those steps because that'll put this into some context for the listeners out there in other words, what those steps are in your estimation?
1: Yeah um, so I talk about whole system whole system change and uh, and, and 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 i I'm using the word change in the context of transformation because change is doing what i do now but doing it differently whereas transformation is a new way of being i'm now looking at what i do from from a different set of eyes at higher level of consciousness Uh, and as you know as einstein said you can't solve the problems that you created at one level of consciousness from the same level of consciousness you've got to move to a higher level and that's what transformation that's what transformation is and so um the, uh, you know, the starting point is really getting commit, And because the culture of the organization is so important to its success, uh, you've got to get the leadership team on board with the idea of, the, of cultural transformation and recognize- help them recognize that the culture of an organization is a reflection of leadership consciousness. And so if your leadership team are not up to or not willing to buy in to the fact that the culture they have is a culture they've created because of their beliefs and values, and if they change their beliefs and values, they can have a different culture, a more successful culture. If you can't get them to buy into that, well, forget the whole thing, because it, it just won't happen, and so that's really the starting point, commitment. The next point is really about measurement, you know, you've got to find out where you are, what is, measure the culture, find out where you are and you know, what is, uh, what is the level of cultural entropy, what's actually working and not working and you also have to, uh, you also need to have a, uh, be very clear about your vision uh, and your sense of mission, mm-hmm. and and particularly amongst the leadership group, um, I give more emphasis to that topic in my new, in the second version of this book, like I say, which is going to come out sometime next year. So, if you don't have alignment in your leadership team, if you don't have the commitment, and you don't have the alignment then again, uh, that's going to be, the lack of alignment is going to be reflected in the organization, in the different silos, or if you've got, I mean, you don't want silos, but in the different, uh, um, in the different uh, business units. Mm -hmm. So, so getting get that's uh, the beginning. You, you uh, and then you come in and you have measured where you are right now. And so the you know the next step is to get these uh, results and uh, find out where the pockets of high cultural entropy are. Now, the um, way if you do it by business unit by location etc etc you'll find that there are certain units or certain locations which have high levels of cultural entropy well that means that there is a high levels of personal entropy amongst those leaders and so you can actually focus right in very clinically and to where the pockets of high entropy are and work with those leaders by doing leadership values assessments in order to help those leaders um, uh, uh, change and develop. Well, um, like
0: you said, it's almost like a laser focus. Once yeah. you find out from the assessment, I, I don't say you remove the cancer, but in essence, you know, if that's where where the problem is, you've attacked the problem area and you help those people through coaching uh, to improve that particular location that is having challenges, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and so... What you want to do is uh, is to reduce the the level of personal entropy of these leaders, so you reduce the cultural entropy in the organization. But you also want to tackle um, system wide issues like bureaucracy. It might be a system wide issue, and so there are you'll you'll find out from your from the um, you'll find out from the cultural values assessment exactly. Mm-hmm where the issues are Mm -hmm. and uh, so um, you know that's basically really important. So yeah, you know the different steps are really first of all a commitment to transformation amongst the leaders, then you go in and measure, then you get your executive team into some form of alignment, develop a vision and mission about where it is you want to go, what you want to do and then focus on the values and behaviours of the organisation. What are the values we want to live by? How do we relate to each other? And that's the starting point. And so then you come in and do your values assessment and that gives you your change strategy. It immediately tells you what's working and not working and so you, you, you focus on that change strategy based on the results of the of the assessment and then you do this personal alignment by looking at the leaders where there's high entropy and then you do something called structural alignment now you see if you choose a set of values let's say um, let's say teamwork you choose the value of teamwork but in the past legacy of last league of the previous leaders um, incentives are always geared to individuals then you've got a problem because you' Uh, on the one hand, you, you're saying, uh, "Okay, we, we we value teamwork," but on the other hand, we, we're, our incentives are, are 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 all towards individuals. And so structural alignment means embedding the values in every system, policy, procedure, and process that you have in the organisation. And then values alignment is really all about getting people discussing what the values are, and everybody needs to be involved in that. And having people say, "Yeah, these are values that I could." I could live up to. And lastly, sort of mission alignment. I want to know that the work that I'm doing aligns, uh, or or, or what I'm passionate about, or what I love to do, um, aligns with the work that I do. Because if, if it doesn't, then I have an issue. Or if I can't see, if I haven't got a direct line of sight between the work that I do and the overall vision and mission of the organization, I am, you know, I, I don't know what I'm doing. And so these are these are nine or ten steps that are really important uh, in a whole system change process.
0: Well, and for my listeners, if you want to get more information on this and, and take some of these assessments, because Richard has developed um, many, many tools to help uh, organizations um, go through this process. You just need to go to www.valuescenter.centre.com. Uh, you can click on the mini tabs that are there, but you can find some of these assessments as well. Um, Richard, it's been a pleasure having you on speaking about this. I think. You know, again, it's it's a journey that organizations go through, and and one that is needs consistent maintenance. It's almost like maintaining your garden. Um, Absolutely, you're, you're constantly pulling weeds, and you're constantly cultivating and fertilizing. And there's a, there's a lot of analogies to nature as it is to growing a culture inside of an organization. And um, actually, the outside of his book has people uh, growing orange trees. (laughs) So that just shows you, and it's from a little tree to a big tree with more people. So that's obviously the significance of, um, how nature plays a role here. Richard, a pleasure. And
1: and more oranges too.
0: And more oranges (laughs) and more oranges. So pleasure having you on. We'll have links to value center. We'll have links to the book on Amazon. Um, and we appreciate you taking the time to be on with us today.
1: Uh, Greg, it's always fun being with you, thanks a lot.